Well, we're going to continue this morning looking at um, some of the themes that um, have been listed from the book of Ephesians. And um, I'm going to be looking at the question of sin. And in particular, I'm going to concentrate on the aspect of resisting sin. But before I begin, I just wanted to um, remind you of the the real purpose of the book of Ephesians is threefold actually. Um, firstly, Paul's intention here is to show everybody that um, God wants to form a, a body of people that reveal and practice um, the character of Jesus. That's, the, that's his prime object, objective in, in writing this book. And he wants to unite everybody Jew, Gentile, believer, with unbelievers as well when they come through to know Jesus. He wants to unite all people. And finally, he wants to equip and empower uh, his followers towards maturity. He wants us to grow in our knowledge of him so that um, individuals can recognize and embody uh, the victory that Jesus achieved over evil. So it's in that last bracket, probably, that we're looking at this morning, because we're, we're looking at the aspect of resisting sin. Now, I've been asked to consider the matter of sin. I don't know quite why they asked me to do this. Um, I trust there was nothing in my character that necessitated that. But no matter, I've, I've, I will do it as to the best of my ability because it's important that the Christian learns how to deal with sin's destructive influence. And in support of this topic, I've, I've moved outside of, of just Ephesians and I've enlisted the, um, the writings of both uh, James and John to reinforce what Paul is saying in this particular book. So sin is a word that's little talked about today for its meaning has been totally sublimated. It's, um, it's distorted. It's not what the average person understands it to mean. It's a bit like the word wicked, which um, is substituted to sound like something that's brilliant or really fantastic, really good. That's not what wicked means. We all know what wicked means. And the word gay, for example, is another word that has been uh, changed completely from being something which meant light-hearted, spirited, happy, to meaning uh, what you all realise, that someone attracted to someone of the same gender. So, sins today, and if I use slimming world jargon, provide little eating acts of pleasure. They won't do any harm. And you get that sort of inference from sin is it's not important. It's, it's just a little thing you do on the quiet at the side. Real meaning, however, is very much more serious. It, uh, in biblical terms, it's so serious indeed, it means spiritual death. Sin is going to bring about death. Well, Romans reminded us when we looked at it in our last series, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. And although in my Bible um, there are only two references made in Ephesians to the actual word sin, um, there is considerable evidence in there of the aspects of sin that we've got to look at. As I said, if we wanted to form a body of people, they were the intentions. And there are numerous things mentioned in Ephesians that Christians are exhorted to avoid and overcome. And one of them, of course, was um, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. That's Ephesians 2.3. But more explicitly, in chapter 5 of Ephesians, it talks about sexual immorality, impurity, greed, obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, debauchery, disobedience, to name a few more. All very serious, all sins, all to be avoided, and all extremely harmful. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes upon those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. But more in Ephesians is the fact that there's reference made to the spiritual battle that we as Christians participate in. So it's important that we learn how to deal with the cunning strategies that Satan will deploy in his attempt to derail our faith and to entice us into committing sin. Now let me say right from the start, Satan's efforts will never, ever achieve ultimate success. For we know from our, our study in Romans that we've got the assurance of God's love whenever we belong to Jesus. Nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. However, we still need to recognise that Satan, who's also known as the deceiver, will do all he can to spoil our testimony. Now, the same writer to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul, honestly reveals the struggles he had in overcoming those inner conflicts that all of us at some time or other experience. None of us are immune from those aspects of our old nature. And back in Romans again, Paul was saying for this, he said, for I know that good itself doesn't dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, I keep on doing. And he goes on, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? But then he continues in the first verse of the next chapter. But there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Knowing the Lord exonerates us from all blame, despite what we have done, are doing, or ever will do if we believe in him. It would be naive, I think, to believe that Satan will leave us alone uh, when we become Christians. He won't leave us alone. He wants to derail our faith 
He wants to do this. But remember, we're all warriors, according to Ephesians, engaged in a battle, a spiritual battle. And battles can be won, and battles can be lost. We all know that from the situation in the last war with Dunkirk. You could consider that a battle lost, but we won the war. And it's exactly the same here, because the war has already been won. Jesus has won it for us, and Satan has lost. And yet he still has influence in this day and age. The Bible reveals that this battle continues both on earth and in the heavens until Jesus returns at the conclusion of the age. And a conflict still exists between the two kingdoms. God's kingdom, of which we're a part, and along with God's angels and, and ourselves, against the kingdom of darkness, which Satan rules, and consists of demons, uh, rebellious angels, and even unbelieving humans, although they might not realise it. And both kingdoms are competing for the minds and lives of us all. We're working alongside God in his kingdom to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus that leads to everlasting life. And Satan, in his kingdom, is attempting to drag as many souls as he can into eternal damnation. Now, Satan is not just a figure of our imagination. He's real. And the Bible mentions his activities extensively and makes his threat and danger clear. He's permitted a certain amount of influence, even now, during this age, despite being a defeated foe. And note, here in Ephesians, Paul refers to uh, Satan as, in Ephesians 2, 2, as the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit now at work in those who are disobedient. And he also says in Corinthians, it's, he's the God of this age. And he has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And John, likewise, reinforces what Paul is saying there. He, and John says this, We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. He's still around. And also John says, Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. Now we know that Jesus has done it all. We know that Jesus has overcome all the, the wiles of the enemy and sacrificed on the cross and made it possible for us to be saved and to be exonerated from any further blame. But nonetheless, we're still not immune from being tempted by Satan. Satan shouldn't be ignored. He is still active, 
and he is still dangerous. But, as I've just reminded you, he's defeated. He's already lost. And Jesus has already destroyed his reign. And Satan will ultimately, in God's plan, be consigned to hell. Now many people believe that hell is a fictitious place. That God oh, is too kind to have something like that. But the Bible tells us that God cannot but judge unforgiven sin. And that hell is very, very real. And whatever form it will take, and it's pretty dreadful to contemplate, it will at least, at the very least, mean permanent and eternal separation from God. What is even more concerning, I think, to us is the fact that those that refuse God's offer of salvation will endure a similar fate, which puts on you and I a real burden of responsibility as believers to share God's offer with as many as possible who are ignorant of this fact. Clearly it is possible, uh, as described by Paul earlier, for the Christian to sin again, having previously sought forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. And although this is something we, we regret having done, we can be assured that God is true to his promise. And his promise is this, he says in John 2, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. What's an advocate? A legal representative. Someone who intercedes on our behalf. We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. That's the wonder of the gift of salvation that Jesus has provided for us. God's forgiveness is absolute. He enables us to be completely free of all guilt. Jesus' righteousness has been credited to you and I. And in God's eyes, we are seen as a beloved child, a prodigal perhaps, but a prodigal restored in relationship with him, our Heavenly Father. So why on earth would we want to continue in sin, having been given such a wonderful new start through Jesus? And this begs the question, how can we better ensure that we don't fall into any of the uh, devil's traps and discredit uh, the gift Jesus earned on our behalf? Notice I said discredit. I didn't say take it away. He hasn't got the power to do that once you are, have given your life to Jesus. That's permanent. It lasts forever. And so Satan's days are numbered. Satan's final destiny, his, his destruction was first confirmed when Jesus was on earth, um, when he sent 70 of them uh, around to proclaim the gospel. And they returned absolutely overwhelmed with joy at all that was going on. And they excitedly declared, you know, Lord, even the demons are subject to us. And Jesus, quietly, but obviously it was recorded, he said to them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give you power 
to tread on serpents and scorpions and over the power of the enemy and nothing nothing shall by any means hurt you and yet even today Satan uses the same method that he successfully used against Eve in the Garden of Eden he subtly tries to persuade us into doing that which is wrong his methods are always devious he, you can almost imagine him saying well don't let doubts spoil what you want to do it's okay it's only a little sin and he will always place tempting thoughts into the mind of anybody willing to entertain them and that's the problem but neither Satan nor his demons can make anyone do anything he can't make you do a thing there is no such thing as you might hear somebody say the devil made me do it oh no he didn't the devil didn't make you do it at all you chose to do it we alone choose God always gives us the right to choose and Satan can't force us Paul understood this and accordingly he exhorted the Christian to take every thought captive he said this the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world on the contrary they have divine power to demolish strongholds we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ and again in Ephesians 4 it says you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness it's a battle for the mind Jesus wants us to think appropriately he wants us to realize that we've already got the wherewithal within us to overcome all the power of the evil one so Paul is reinforcing this he's suggesting that we need to modify and take control of our thinking if we are to avoid sin making and finding a crafty route back into our behavior too much is happening in our society even within even within churches that completely disregard God's standards as being old-fashioned well they're antiquated uh, need to be modernized and things like that. that sort of thinking exists today in the church and it's a terrible indictment on us and you can almost hear them saying well biblical standards aren't, aren't really relevant today we, we need to properly adapt to um, a more modern more modern ways of behavior and can't you detect the voice of Satan in that you see that sort of influence is what Satan is trying to do to undermine the insurance that we have in our faith in Jesus so we've talked about here the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world 
So let's look at the weapons we have to come against Satan with. These weapons will cause us to overcome sin. And we find that metaphor in Ephesians that Paul uses for our spiritual battles. And later in this series, someone will be uh, talking about that aspect in a lot more detail. But I'll just read you a, a few verses that uh, are appropriate to that. And he uses the metaphor of a Roman, a Roman soldier. He says this, he says, Stand firm, stand firm therefore, having fastened the belt of truth around your waist. Truth, notice, truth, not devious ideas that seem to be permeating through society and in the Christian world today. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness and being firm-footed in the gospel of peace. He's saying, don't dilute the gospel. Hold on to the truth of the gospel. It's God's word. It's unchangeable. Don't try and alter it for something which isn't true by thinking it's modern. And in addition, having clothed yourself with these things, take up the shield of faith. Do you still believe? Do you still put your trust and belief in what God is doing in your life? And with which you will be able to put out all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit, which is the word of God. Again, reinforcing the strength of using the word in dealing with your own personal battles. The thing is, you see, armour is worn in battle. And the battle isn't inside the cosy walls of a church meeting. This isn't our battleground. Our mission lies beyond these walls. It's among the communities where we live. It's in the workplace. It's in the office. It's among our neighbours. It's among our unsaved friends and our needy relatives as well. But in all these things, we're called to stand firm. We are called to action, to resist. And Paul wants to get it into our heads that Satan has no power over us other than what you and I allow him. We have the power to resist him. We can just simply defy the subtleties of his innuendos, of what he's trying to persuade us, is it won't hurt. Don't let that ever influence you. And so Paul reminds us to resist evil, to stand firm and enjoy the truth that we're no longer slaves to temptation. Before we couldn't help ourselves before we knew Jesus. We couldn't help ourselves, we just did these things without thinking about them, without worrying about them. But they were leading to destruction and that's exactly how Satan wanted us to, uh, to continue. But instead now, we are commended to pursue righteousness. Do things God's way. Believe in God's plan for your life. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead 
but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that fantastic? And I'll leave you with this last bit of advice from James, who was Jesus' brother. And he said this, he just says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. We've got that power. We've got Jesus living within us. That brilliant, God's grace covers it all. Sin need have no dominion over us any further. Live in the victory of it. Amen? Amen. Okay. Father, we... We bless you for the, the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you make it possible for us to resist Satan and his wiles and his attempts to undermine all that you are trying to do as you build your church and establish your kingdom in this age. And Lord, we together want to work with you to achieve your purposes in building that kingdom and to bring others into the knowledge of there is knowledge of salvation where they find hope and purpose and meaning to life so lord help us in that quest as we live in the goodness of your word and the strength of all that you teach us thank you lord amen